Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this beautiful day that You've given us. What a privilege it is to be able to gather together and sing songs and hymns and choruses of praise and worship which magnify Your name and remind us of the truths of Your Word that we must obey if we are to know the joy of the Lord. Father, as we gather together this morning and we and we come to open the Word before our hearts and minds, we're reminded by Your Word that the, that the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Father, I'm so thankful that You choose to make challenging things, difficult things, even deep the deep things of, of, of the mind of the Lord, of, of the things that only You know that that we grasp at to, to make them simple to us, to make them plain to us, to make them clear to us, to encourage our hearts, to strengthen us in our walk with you as we yield ourselves before your word. So God, I pray, help us to do that always, to humbly yield ourselves before your word and to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to go with me to First Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to challenge you today with a topic that I think is one of the most needful and important for the church today. And if I asked you what you thought was the most needful and important topic for the church today, I'm willing to guess that, that uh, I don't think you would, you would come up with the answer that I came up with. I think this is an important topic, something that's very critical for the church something that's important for our church back in Higgins Lake, something that's very important for this church here in the Litchfield area, and I think every church on planet Earth needs to pay attention to this, this truth, this challenge, this spiritual strength, this, this grace of God in our lives. This is one of the basics of Christianity. This is one of the basics. It's the first basic I started with our church a few weeks ago, and I thought it would be helpful and encouraging to you to hear this because I think every church, every believer needs this challenge. I can say that because, because I know I need this challenge, and I've been a believer for a long time. I've been a, a follower of Christ since I was a youngster, not always a faithful follower of Christ, sadly to say. But I know I need this. I need this desperately. I sent you to 1 Thessalonians 5, didn't I? Here's a verse you probably all know, verse 16. Would you look at it? Paul points to this most important and basic Christian attitude when he says very simply, very directly, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. Don't you love it? Our kids for vacation Bible school this summer, during vacation Bible school, were memorizing verses, and we gave them more points for more verses, and I'm sure that many of them gravitated to this verse because it's two words. You want to memorize God's Word and you're not a, a, a Scripture memorizer? Start simple. Start here, okay? If you underline in your Bible, if you never have, or you like to make notes in your margins, put an arrow here, put an underline here. Rejoice always, says Paul. He doesn't say if, you know, if you're feeling like it. 
He says, rejoice always. In fact, in the original language, the word for rejoice comes after the word for always. So Paul says, always rejoice. Always. The emphasis is always. Keep on rejoicing. Or always be joyful. I'd like to suggest that true joy as followers of Christ, is one of those fundamental graces that should be growing in the life of every believer. Growing and growing and growing. And we never stop growing in in this grace, I believe. It's one of the beauties of being a follower of Christ is as we get older, we become more frail, right? And as we become more frail, we feel like we're done growing We are done growing physically and we're starting to break down, right? But as Christians, it doesn't matter how old chronologically you get, you never finish growing in Christ if you continue in His Word until the day He he takes your last breath from you and calls you home. Don't ever stop growing in this truth. I don't think we ever will if we're truly followers of Christ and truly following Christ and His Word. True joy as followers of Christ, I think, is one of those fundamental graces we should all be growing in. But it's often the first Christian grace we neglect when we believe things aren't going our way. No? I experience it all the time. How about you? On the interstate. Like when we were coming down here over, over this uh, last few days, we were, we were traveling on Friday. Not too smart of us to travel on Friday on this holiday weekend, right? And I had, um, Carolyn's dad was gracious enough to let us, let him, let us borrow. He's got a little boat and we took it camping with us and we enjoyed it on a small lake in northern Michigan, but we needed to return that. So I had to pull that boat down and in traffic and, you know, the craziness and, you know, the crazy driver that I am, Carolyn sitting in their passenger seat going, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's like, you know, I'm trying to like keep my spot on the highway. You're not going to take it from me. And I'm, you know, no joy. And I'm sitting there thinking I've got to preach on joy on Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to tell people to be joyful always and get out of my way. You know, I'm, that's my part, part of the highway. True joy as followers of Christ is often the first thing to go when we face hardships and trials and difficulties and we look around and we say, I don't deserve this. Joy goes first, doesn't it? But I think Christians should be the most joyful people on earth. We have the most to be joyful for, the most to be thankful for. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who went to Calvary and shed His blood for sinners, you and me, undeserving as we are, took the punishment we deserve, shed His blood, was crucified and cruelly, cruelly murdered. For no sin of His own. How dare we not be joyful when Jesus has given us so much And God has given us His Word to help us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to stomp up and down on our toes at times, right? This passage, just two little words in 1 Thessalonians, this is not an isolated topic. 
This is not an isolated topic uh, to First Thessalonians. Let me give you just a quick sampling of the breadth of this command for the believer to rejoice or be joyful and to do it always. John 16.24, Jesus says, in Jesus' words, He says, Until now, you have asked nothing in My name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have joy. He wants us to have full joy. And as followers of Christ, we can have full joy because Jesus offers it to us. Philippians 4.4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 1 Peter 4.13, Peter says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. What? Wait a minute, Peter. Something's not right here. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice, in case we needed that reminder, and be glad when His glory is revealed. That is just a little pointer to the sovereignty of God, that God is in control and God is at work even in your troubles. And there's a whole other sermon right there in that verse that I need to stop talking about, otherwise I'll forget the one that I have prepared for you. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. There it is again, of various kinds. What are you talking about, James? What do you mean, count it all joy when you meet trials? Verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or faithfulness. I could go on, and there are many more examples, but it is clear that the teaching of God's Word is that the believer is to be always rejoicing, always Joyful. Now I know that what I'm saying right now is a great challenge to many, if not all of us. It is to me. I know that joy can be a hard thing to come by in the world that we live in with all of its challenges, the challenges and difficulties that we face in life. And, you know, like when you get to the gas pump and you go, $4.09, you've got to be kidding me, right? $4.09 for gas, right? And you watch the news and you go, what are they thinking? You know, why are they running our government this way? Or who, you know, who, who said you could do that? Or what's going on with these criminals? Or, you know, turn around, turn on the news, pick up a paper, browse the web a little bit. You'll find plenty of bad news to challenge your joy, won't you? I know that joy can be a hard thing to come by in the world in which we live. Obviously, we have many ready sources that, that feed us bad news. You turn on the evening news and you're just hoping for some good news, but they're not going to get viewers if they all only told you about the good things. People want to hear bad news. It seems like people in our culture want to see the, what's going on, see the, the bad things that are going on. And we've never found faster ways in our culture to deliver bad news with all the technology that we have. It's, it can be a very good thing, but sometimes it can be a very bad thing. And you might be thinking, how in the world can I have joy in the situations that I'm facing? You have no idea what I'm facing. You, It wouldn't surprise me if many of you think that, and, and you would be right. You, I don't have any idea what you're facing. 
But I know God knows. I know God knows exactly what you're facing. And this is God's Word. This is God's Word to you. Speaking to you in the midst of the problems that you face. So I can confidently say, as Paul reminds us to rejoice always, that this is what God wants us to do. Even as we face trials and hardship, He knows about them. He knew them long before we ever saw them coming. And He gave us His Word to encourage us and challenge us. I can say it because this is the teaching of God's Word. Now I know that it's very easy for us to justify a lack of joy too. I, I know that. Personally, how easy it is for us to say, I don't, I don't have to be joyful now. Here's a time for me to be upset. I'm going to be angry. <laughs> I want to show you from God's Word today what we need to know if we're to have the true joy that God freely gives those who follow His Word, who obey Him, who are His obedient children. God offers us full joy, just as we heard from the words of Christ. I want to show you some things that you need to know if you really want to know the joy of the Lord. And let's admit it, we need the wisdom of God's Word. Do you need the wisdom of God's Word? You may not think you do, but I'm telling you, you need, you need God's Word. You need His wisdom. Joy can be such a hard thing to find if we allow our circumstances to get the better of us, but God's Word shows us that we, what we need to know and, and that we can have the joy of the Lord just as in Nehemiah 8.10, when we hear this reminder, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you want strength for today and tomorrow and the things that you don't know about that are coming? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So what do we need to know that we might always be rejoicing? I think we can learn to receive the joy of the Lord when we know and believe. I've got four things for you this morning. and You might want to just jot these down to go back to them, to, to encourage yourself, to challenge yourself. And there's some Scripture references that go with some of these. You might want to just jot the Scripture reference down to go back to these later and to pray over these, to ask God to help you experience His joy and to grow in His joy. Here's number one. Here's the number one thing I think you need to know if you want to know the joy of the Lord. Here's number one. This is the most, If you only remember one thing, remember this. Know and trust that God is in control. You say, I knew that. I know, but you forgot, like I forget, right? Know and trust that God is in control. You know how you forget is the first thing. You face a trial, a difficulty, some problem that crops up that you were so unprepared for, and you forget, wait a minute, like I do, God is in control. It was this truth, I'm thankful for God's grace and mercy and His goodness into in, in growing me in this truth, it was this truth that I think God gave me at peace in the midst of a difficult time a week ago Saturday as I was following an ambulance to the hospital. With my wife inside the ambulance, I'm going, Lord, help her. You know, take care of her. Give her what she needs. But I was at peace. I was at peace. Now, I've had times when I wasn't at peace. She had an episode. Something else occurred a few months ago, which I think you folks were praying about, which scared the living daylights out of me. I didn't know what was going on. But this time, it's like God's in control. God knows. He knows what's going on. And I think He worked a measure of grace in my heart and life in that episode, that incident here a week from Saturday. And I just thought, I'm not upset. I'm not 
worried. I know God's in control. Listen, nothing serves to prepare you for the joy of the Lord like an understanding and belief in the sovereignty of God. Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe it? If you believe it, it'll change your life. It'll change the way you think about your problems. For those who don't believe God is in control, life is out of control. And they, and people who don't believe in Jesus Christ spend their lives trying to get their life under control. You know, all the things that we do to try to get life under control. But without Christ, without the joy of the Lord, life is out of control. Without this understanding and belief that God is in control, life is out of control. Says Isaiah 14.24, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, as I have planned. We have a planning God. Do you realize that? God makes plans. And guess what? His plans prevail. As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That was Isaiah 14.24. In Isaiah 46, Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, we hear this, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Now, but you say, okay, God's in control. God is sovereign. But just how much control does God have? Well, there's scripture for that too. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35, we hear this. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Listen, God is in control, and no one can question God's purposes and plans. God is righteous and holy and just, and what he does may be far beyond our thinking, and is in so many ways, but he is totally in control. God has complete control. A New Testament example of this, I think, is very clear and very helpful. If we ever have a question about this, when we go to the New Testament, go with me to Acts chapter 2, would you? New Testament example of this, that God is in control, complete control, and that we can trust Him, that He knows what He's doing, and His plans are perfect, and His purposes are wise and just. Acts chapter 2 reminds us that even the death of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a part of God's plan. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. In that verse, we learn that God delivered Christ up according to the definite plan. Hear that. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And when we think of God's foreknowledge, you need to think this way. It's not like God looked ahead and go, oh, I see what's going to happen, so I'll do this. No, no, no. God's purposes are seen in His foreknowledge. God foreknew. He he makes a plan. He foreknows. He makes a plan. When you see foreknowledge, think about that plan, that purpose of God's. And so in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, delivered up His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Even as Luke records for us there that Jesus was, it says, look at it, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Wait a minute, I thought you said God was in control. I did. But he was killed by the hands of lawless men. 
Listen, yes, lawless men killed Jesus, but, but even that was a part of God's plan. Now that baffles your mind, doesn't it? It baffles mine. I don't have, I don't have all the answers for you in this because I don't have the mind of God. And I think that's a good thing that we don't. <laughs> because His ways are not our ways, are they? And his, his thinking is not our thinking. But we know this from God's Word, that He is in control. And even His Son, He intended for His Son's death. And He even used lawless men and their evil deeds. I don't believe God's Word teaches that God made the lawless men kill His Son. I don't think God made them do anything. Listen, if you're a sinner... In other words, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're all sinners in this room, right? Even if you're a child of God, you still struggle with sin. But if you're without Christ, if you haven't been saved, you are a captive to your sin nature. You are a prisoner. You cannot do anything but sin. And these lawless men were that way. They couldn't do anything but sin. But God, in His foreknowledge by His definite plan and foreknowledge. He purposed the death of His Son at the hands of lawless men who made choices to do evil deeds. How God does that? I'd like to know. And I think you'd like to know too. But God says, trust me. I am in control. And He gives us evidence in His Word and He gives us evidence in our own lives that God is in control. So it gives us these Moments of encouragement and hope and strength so we know, I know God's in control. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you've humbled your, yourself before the Lord and confessed your sin and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know God is in control. At certain times you've seen it. You know in your heart God is in control. And, and He reveals Himself to us that way. Can I explain that? Absolutely not. But I'm so thankful He does. I'm so thankful that God reveals Himself to us in our hearts as we humble ourselves before His Word and we walk in obedience. I can tell you from first-hand experience that knowing and trusting that God is in control will bring great peace and joy when you're facing troubling times. But if you don't believe that God is in control, and I can tell you this from experience also, if you do not believe that God is in control, you will have no peace, you will have no joy, and you will wear yourself wicked trying to fix your life. God's Word tells you to always rejoice. And to help you, His Word makes clear that He is in control. Take comfort in that. Find joy in that. Rest in that. To know and believe that God is sovereign is where I believe we must begin if we're to have joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So don't forget that. Number two, know the difference between joy and happiness. You want to know real joy? You need to know the difference between joy and happiness. And there is a difference. Happiness is air conditioning, right? And we did this a few years ago in our church. We never had air conditioning. We, so people, we always had fans, and we had these big, noisy fans that would oscillate and blow people's Bibles and, you know, and mess up your hair and all that and get hardly hear. And, and, and somebody gave to the church abundantly, and we said, they said, we want you to improve the, the facilities. And we said, air conditioning. <laughs> and we've been thankful for that. That's, would you agree with me that that's something that makes us happy? Right? Let's get rid of the fans, right? Get rid, I think that's the idea. Is that the idea? Get rid of the fans. Get the fans out of here and bring in the air conditioning. It would be nice on a day like today, wouldn't it? When the preacher's going on and on and you're going, come on already. 
that's something that makes us happy. I ran the air conditioning in the vehicle the other day and it just wasn't quite up to snuff because it was like 90 degrees outside and this vehicle we drive is all windows, right? That's something that makes us happy. You know the difference between joy, the joy of the Lord, and happiness? Oswald Chambers said, happiness depends on what happens. Joy does not. I think that's an important distinction. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy does not. Often we find we're happier when it's sunny outside, right? I'm one of those weirdos that goes, oh, I love a good thunderstorm. Bring it on. But I'll tell you what, if life was all thunderstorms, I'd get tired of that really quick. I really like sunshine, don't you? We need Now, this summer, I know the farmers in this part of the country and even in our part of the state have suffered because there's more sunshine than rain, right, than, than the proper balance there. We can have too much sunshine. Even that we will tend to, to lose our happiness over. But when we say air conditioning or, or sunshine or you know a, a, a Saturday, Saturday with nothing to do where I just want to relax and I, and I don't have to do anything, no honey-do list, right guys? Or no meals to make, right guys or ladies? Right? No, no, no things, no laundry to do, no, I just want to relax. Just a Saturday without anything to do. That, we think that's happiness, right? But that's not joy. That's not the joy of the Lord. Happiness you may be able to make for yourself, you know. If I should just work a few more hours, if I could just make a little bit more, if I could just have a little bit more overtime, I'd be happy, maybe. But, but I think you're going to be having a hard time finding joy if that's your life. If that's all your life. It's the joy of the Lord that will be yours even in the midst of difficulty. Even in the midst of difficulty. When happiness is fleeting. Because you will not always be happy in this life because we live in a sinful and fallen world and we're still sinful creatures. And there are sinful people and circumstances all around us. Note this. Part of knowing the difference between joy and happiness is knowing that true joy only comes through the Holy Spirit. If you're not a child of God, you cannot know true joy without Christ. Without His Holy Spirit working in you. Psalm 51, note it. Psalm 51. You don't need to go there, just listen. Psalm 51, verses 11 and 12 points to this truth when it records for us David's plea to God. He is crying out to God in prayer. You want to learn how to pray or go to the Psalms? Pray, go to the Psalms. It's a good reminder of how to pray. Because David gets it right when he prays. He cries out to God. Psalm 51, verses 11 and 12. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit for me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Galatians 5.22 also reminds us. Galatians 5.22 tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you realize that? And what we, what we understand by, from that is that when God is working us and we're humbling ourselves before His Word, we're obeying His Word, the fruit of the Spirit at work in us brings joy, among other things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. If you, if you find yourself with no joy, I'd suggest that you are stagnant in your faith or you are not a believer. It's possible that you are not a Christ follower if you have no joy, if you've never really known the joy of the Lord. It's possible, I think, to be a believer who's struggling, but you ought to have been able to point to times in your life and say, I, I, I taste a bit of the joy of the Lord. I know I'm a child of God. I know He's working in me. I know He's convicting me now, but I don't have the joy that I need. I want to obey Him. And even 1 Thessalonians 1.6 emphasizes that the joy of the believer comes by way of the Spirit's work. 
and gives the reminder that no one can steal the joy that God gives. No one can steal the joy. In other words, no person or thing in your life should be able to steal the joy that God has given you because you trust in Him, because you obey Him. That's the attitude with which Peter was encouraging the church. We find in Acts, even after being imprisoned for proclaiming the gospel of Christ, it says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. See, even you can even face persecution with joy. And, and every other problem that's minor to that in comparison. Because the Lord is your strength. Know that there's a difference between joy and happiness. Seek out the truth of God's Word to strengthen you as you obey Him. And come what may, His joy will be your joy. Number three, know how to put the joy killers behind you, or maybe better, know how to kill the joy killers. And we're not talking about people here, okay. We're not talking about people. Please don't hear me say that. Know how to put the joy killers behind you. What are the joy killers? I would suggest that whining and complaining and bitterness and anger are joy killers. You would say, well, my neighbor makes me angry. Well, okay, you can blame it on your neighbor if you want to. But you chose to be angry, right? Well, you know, circumstances in my life caused me to be bitter. I've got people who've done mean things to me, and I'm bitter about that. Now, you're choosing to be bitter. Listen, God's Word talks about this and challenges us with this. I think a better way of understanding this is by thinking in terms of choosing God's wisdom over Ungodly wisdom. Choosing God's wisdom over your own. and Choosing to obey God's wisdom rather than the world's way of thinking. So how do you put the joy killers behind you? I could, I could tell you, don't be, you know, don't complain, don't whine, don't be bitter, don't be angry, but that doesn't help. What I think you need to hear is this, from God's word. Choose God's wisdom. Choose God's wisdom over your own. I think when you think in, in terms like this, is far more helpful and far more challenging to our souls as Christ followers. Pursuing the joy of the Lord means taking your eyes off yourself and off the world's wisdom and getting your eyes and your heart and your mind and your soul onto the knowledge of God's Word. And when you do this, you need to take the next step, which is choosing obedience over disobedience. So if you want to know what it is to, to, to put the joy killers behind you or to kill the joy killers, choose God's wisdom. That's number one. Choose God's wisdom. I'm going to do what God's Word says. I'm committed to obeying God's Word. I just use this, Mom and Dad, and you, you might laugh. You might be challenged by this. Um, I just remember you both, I think, saying, bringing this up. Um, God's, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. And I heard something a little different a few years ago, and I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense. God said it. That settles it. Yes, we do need to believe it. Okay, I'm not challenging that. I, we do need to believe it. We must believe it. I'm challenging you to believe God's Word. But listen, God's Word said it. That settles it. Right. Now, believe and obey. Right? You want to put the joy killers behind you? Choose God's wisdom. You may not always agree with God's word. You may open the Bible and read and go, this is, uh, this is great for my wife. Wait a minute. Who's reading it? Right? It's for you. It's for me, right? This is good for my neighbor. 
I've laughed at times, and I've challenged our church in this. I've had people literally walk out and say, Pastor, that was really good. I wish so-and-so was here today to have heard that. And I go, what? Are you, you were here. You, you needed that, you know? I need that. And so I, I joke with our folks, and they've become good-natured about it. Choose God's wisdom. That, you need to change your thinking. We often pick up a phone and call a dear friend, and sometimes those dear friends are not friends of the Lord. And sometimes they can tell us to do things that are ungodly. Choose godly advisors. (laughs) Choose God's Word. Choose God's wisdom over your own. Number two, choose obedience over disobedience. Choose obedience over disobedience. You might say, well, isn't that the same thing as choosing God's wisdom over over your own? Yes and no. You can say, I'm going to do God's Word, but are you going to do God's Word? Are you going to do what God's Word says? Choose obedience over disobedience. This is so important. I'll put it this way. Sin is a joy killer. Sin is a joy killer. I would say sin is a three-letter word with I in the middle, Right? Because sin is all about me. And I get myself into sin when I'm only thinking about me. Sin is a joy killer. You may be struggling to find the joy of the Lord in your life, but if you're living sinfully and you're avoiding obedience, you will never find true joy. Never. Again, sadly, I speak from experience. Knowing, I can't tell you, there are, a, there are a few times in my life when I absolutely knew what I was supposed to be doing. And I thumbed my nose at God and said, I'm doing it my way. And God says, you can't have my joy. You can't. Sin is a joy killer. Get away from it. And we need to avoid overlooking things that are very subtle. There are some things in our lives that maybe no one knows about. And we might just cover those kinds of things up and work really hard to to keep those things to ourselves. Guess guess what? God knows. God knows and He is brokenhearted that you have not repented of that and turned to Him and trusted Him to take that place in your life of that thing that is causing you to, to lose your joy. Because you refuse to do what's right. You refuse to obey. You might be obeying in ten things and disobeying in one. You will not have the joy of the Lord when you willfully neglect God's truth. So with the Word of wisdom, the Word of God, allow your life to be exposed by the light of the Word. Let the Word of God expose the sin in your life and get it right with the Lord. So let's choose not to whine and complain. This kind of conduct. You know, when we whine and complain, that kind of conduct is the result of dwelling on ourselves. You know, thinking that we deserve so much better than what we're getting. Remember what Jesus Christ did for you, right? Did He deserve to die on the cross? Absolutely not. He didn't get what He deserved. He got what He didn't deserve. We're not getting what we deserve. Listen, you hear me? We are not getting the wrath of God. When you humble yourself before God and you trust in Jesus Christ, you are not getting what you deserve. You have God's grace and mercy, and you ought to enjoy that and thank Him for that and, and use that as a measure in your life to say, wait a minute, I, 
I always love hearing there's a fellow who talks on financial matters all the time. You might have heard of the name Dave Ramsey before. And I always love it when I've listened to his radio program sometimes and people call him and, and, and they go, how you doing? And he goes, better than I deserve. He's a believer. He's a follower of Christ. He says, better than I deserve. He's always reminding himself and others that no matter how bad it gets at times, we are better off than we deserve. Don't, don't whine and complain. Choose to trust God. Choose joy over bitterness. You may have, you may think you have reason to be great, greatly embittered over circumstances in your life where people have done you wrong. Choose joy over bitterness. Choose joy over anger. So if you want the joy of the Lord, then you'll need to know and trust that God is in control. That was number one. Know the difference between joy and happiness. That was number two. And number three, know how to put the joy killers behind you. And number four, know that the presence of sadness doesn't have to mean the absence of joy. The presence of sadness doesn't have to mean the absence of joy. You, you may have been thinking about this. What about times of sadness? What about times of grief? What do you say about that? Well, I think first we need to think about why we're sad. Think about why we're sad. We might be sad because we're sinning. And for good reason we'd be sad. And if you're sad because you're sinning, then take that as a cue that it's time to repent and confess of your confess your sin to God and, and choose to turn your back on that sin and turn your face back toward God and obey. So if you're sad because you're sinning, that's for good reason you're sad and a good reminder to get things right with the Lord and don't stay there in your sadness. But I think we need to be clear here. I don't think there's anything sinful about sadness as long as we don't allow those circumstances in our lives to cause us to become resentful and angry and fearful toward God or others. You know, you might have a reason for sadness. You might have lost a loved one. And it's natural to be sad when you lose a loved one. You might have lost your job. That's a natural thing to be sad over. God doesn't say, you know, hop, skip, and jump through your unemployment. You know, be joyful and happy and just be glad you're breathing. Well, yes, but you might grieve over your loss. Even Jesus wept. You know that, right? There's nothing sinful about being sad, but don't let your sadness drive you to doubt God. Don't allow your sadness to drive you to fear people or fear God or think that in the fear of the Lord is, leads to wisdom and obedience, but when you fear God's, you know, what you think God's going to do to you, that's an unjust kind of thinking, an un, unrighteous kind of thinking. Don't fear God like He's going to be a big, mean, mean man up in heaven, going to do mean things to you. He took your job, you know, because He doesn't like you. No, no. Don't allow those circumstances over things that you would be sad over to drive you to, to doubt God, to fear God, to be angry at God, or angry at others, or fearful of man. The Psalms hold another example of the proper perspective. When thinking about sadness, David cried out to God in prayer about his sadness when he wrote in Psalm 13 too, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And you would think if you stop there, he's like, what in the world's wrong with you, David? Don't you trust God? Oh, yes, he does. And I love the Psalms for this because again and again and again, David starts out, oh, Lord, help me. I'm in deep trouble here. I'm done. You're trying to kill me. And then in verses 5 and 6, in Psalm 13, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Is David without trouble? Oh no, he's got all kinds of troubles. <laughs> but he knows where his joy comes from. 
David's hope is in the Lord. Here David is dealing with all kinds of sadness and difficulties. We all feel sad in difficult circumstances, but at the same time, David rejoices at the salvation of the Lord. He sings praise to God for His multiplied goodness and the same joy as ours when we trust in the Lord and choose to obey Him. Just as in John's Gospel, we hear Jesus say, John fifteen eleven, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, Jesus wants you to be joyful, full of joy. His joy. John 16.20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Here's a warning that we're going to have trials and difficulties that we mourn over. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Praise God. Are there difficulties in this life which lead to sadness and sorrow? Absolutely. But we who trust in the Lord, we who trust in God and choose to obey His Word will know the joy of the Lord even in the midst of those troubles, even in the midst of the times when we may be suffering, even in the midst of times we may be facing persecution. Because that joy is only ours because our hope is in Christ. And He is at work in us. You really want the joy of the Lord that begins through faith in Christ? And I have to emphasize that. This begins through faith in Christ. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you you can't even go to step one yet until you trust in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for your sins. And then do you know and trust that God is in control? And then do you know that the difference between Different between joy and happiness. You know, happiness is something you can create kind of for yourself, but joy is something only God gives by work of His Spirit as you obey Him. And do you know how to put the joy killers behind you? And do you know that the presence of sadness doesn't have to mean the absence of joy? Let me summarize it this way. Are you trusting in the Lord every day? Are you trusting in the Lord every day? You might look back to a time in your life when you say, I trusted in Jesus Christ. And some of you know the date that you gave your life to Christ. You said, I repent of my sin. And I trusted in Jesus on that day. May I help you maybe think about that? If, if that's what you say, you say, I trusted in Jesus then. Do you trust Him now? Do you trust Him that He's in control, that He loves you, that He's working in you and through you to bring great glory to His name as you honor Him by your obedience? Are you trusting Him every day? Are you trusting Him with every day? Are you trusting Him with every problem, every trial, every difficult person you face? I know how much of a challenge that is, and I know I'm challenging you to something that is very difficult, and you are not going to get right all the time. But you have the Lord's help. You have His Spirit if you're His child. And you trusted the Lord one day, and He wants you to keep on trusting Him. That was just the beginning of your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He loves you. He loves you so much. He went to the cross for you to die, to be punished, to be cruelly treated for your sins because He loves you and He wants you to have His joy. Trust in Him. Be faithful to trust in Him every day. Remind yourself every day, I trust in God, whether you feel like it or not. Because your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will confuse you. 
Go to the Word. Know God's Word. Because I trust in God. And though I don't feel like rejoicing, Lord, help me to know your joy today. And though I'm facing hardship and difficulty and there are tears running down my face, Lord, help me to know your joy today. Help me to trust in you. Would you bow your head with me? A word of prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Oh, how undeserving we are of those things. And it's because our Heavenly Father, because you're a just and righteous and holy God, that the price needs to be paid for our sin and that you took your Son and poured out your wrath on Him so that we might not have to face the just wrath that we deserve. And God, I pray that you would help us to praise you for that and thank you for that and, and to humble ourselves before you and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might know Him, and that we might know the salvation that's ours, and that we might know the joy of the Lord that's ours by the work of His Spirit in us. God, I pray, help us to know Your Word. Help us to trust that You are in control. And, and Lord, I pray, help us to trust in You daily. Help us to obey. Help us to take daily steps of obedience, even baby steps. God, help us to honor You by our obedience and glorify You with our lives as we respond to the things that You bring into our lives to make us more like Your Son that we might bring you great honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.